Goodnix explores the journey and meaning of doing good in the world. I get to choose every day when I wake up whether I'm going to work for a Fortune 500 and make a ton of money or work for the movement that is the arc of moral justice. But I realized that I also had an obligation to weaponize my privilege. One day we said, okay, if the city's not going to do it, the state's not going to do it, if some large corporation's not going to do it, why not us? And if there were enough of you, if you were organized enough, if you were loud enough, it would be too difficult for them to ignore you. Good Nix, created by Jeff Leitner, hosted by Annalisa and Relay, available everywhere you listen to podcasts. Neely, I have two problems. What are those? I really love the show on professional development, and I have a big blank spot on my chest where my shirt is. First of all, the first one doesn't sound like a problem. I mean, it's so much love, I can't contain it. And you also have, what, a blank spot on your chest? Yeah, where my shirt is. You never grew chest hair? Obviously not. Oh, I know what you should do. You should go to this link in the show notes and get an unprofessional development t-shirt. Yes, that sounds like exactly what I needed for this premise. So boys and girls, we have t-shirts. We have magnets. We have buttons. Show your unprofessional love. That way you'll get to know who your fellow unprofessionals are when you're walking down the hallway and go, Oh, you listen to that too? Be an unprofessional representative. Welcome, friends, to a very mathematical episode of Unprofessional Development. I'm Tedisco. And I'm Mealy. And um, today we have with us um, Shelby and Justin. So I'm in charge of the scheduling for um, guests. And sometimes it's like, oh, I, I know who I want. And oh, I'm, I'm like chasing people down like Danica McKellar, please, please. And sometimes I'm like, why don't I just go on Twitter and say, hey, who wants to be on the podcast or who thinks they know someone should be on the podcast? And I think Justin said Shelby would be good and Shelby said Justin should be good or something like that. <laughs> and I said, well, why not both of you then? So, um, so we, and we love having duos. You, if you ever want to go back and listen to some of our duos like Keenan and Alex or two dope teachers or um, Mangano and uh, um, uh, Tamia, right. Um, so we, we, we love having duos on because um, the more c- complicated it is for your ears to figure out who's talking the, 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 the less you can realize what's not or not is going on. So anyway, I'm done rambling. Welcome guys. You're not. So that put me at a disadvantage because everyone's going to know when it's me talking. There you go. Okay. That was Justin, for those of you listening. Exactly. <laughs> now you're confused, aren't you? <laughs> oh, my. So, so actually, I think it was Rob Byer who was like, you should talk to Shelby and Justin because Rob is the most darling man on the human planet. Oh, okay, Justin. shout out to Rob Byer. So. Okay. <laughs> All right. So... We like to um, have like little prompts and I figured out, I don't even know how you guys are going to answer this, but I figured it it would be good. You can each kind of do it your own way. So just to kind of make it a little more interesting and fun to kind of twist people's brains. um, And since you're math peoples, I said, describe your journey in education like you are isolating the variable that is the reason that you teach. So however you want to approach that. For those English teachers of us out there, isolating the variable, that's like getting X by itself. It is. Okay. Yes. I did it. Self high five. Nice. Well done. Well done. Thanks, sticker. Uh So I guess to me, that sounds like start with where we are now and peel away stuff until you get to the core of it. So where I am now is 
I, I kind of call myself an educational magpie because I'm doing a little bit of everything and I'm just like, oh, shiny, what can I do now? And so I'm like, I'm working on curriculum, I'm doing professional development, I'm doing podcasts, apparently, I'm kind of doing all these different things in the math ed world, because, going back a layer, uh, I was teaching, and one of the school sports specialists at a school I was teaching with was like, hey, come do this session with me at this conference. And I was like, yeah, I like you, you're a good person, you believe in me, I'll come do this with you. And then about a week before the conference, she was like, hey, by the way, I'm not doing it with you. Good luck. And that we also go to the nice. conference. <laughs> and, but I, what I discovered in that moment was I actually loved working with adults. And as much as I love kids and as much as I want kids to be good math additions, a lot of the adults have kind of been left by the wayside. So I was like, oh, no, there's actually something really untapped here. And I enjoy doing it. And before I got into that, I got into teaching because in college, I actually wasn't planning on being an ed major at all, as a psych major. And I was like, oh, I never talked to a psychiatrist or a psychologist when I was in high school. I talked to my teachers. So maybe I should go be a teacher if that's the path I want to go down. And thought I was going to be a chemistry teacher. Hated my chemistry classes. Like, they were the worst. So I got into a math class and I had a math professor who finally answered the questions I've had all my life about, like, why is the sum of two odd numbers always even? Why is the product of two odd numbers always odd? Why do these things work that they told me work, but I never knew why? It was just follow the rules, don't ask questions. Mm -hmm. So that kind of goes back to I really like problem solving and I like puzzles. And I, and I, I mean, whether it's video games, math, whatever, I've always been really interested in unpacking why something works. And and I've heard you all talk about this on the podcast before, that aha moment of helping someone else get why it works. So not only for me, but then helping someone else unpack that for themselves, not giving it to them because that's worthless, but helping them get there themselves. That for me is my reason for teaching. Love that. Amen. Amen. That's awesome. That, that's really good. That's really, really good. <laughs> all right, Justin, top that. All right. So. <clears throat> There is a small town in Connecticut. Uh -huh. In 1873, there was a small group of people who got together trying to summon elder demons into our world to just sort of eat the existence. <clears throat> right. Something went wrong with that. However, somebody mm -hmm. dropped an abacus into the summoning circle. And instead of, you know, bringing Cthulhu or uh, uh, Golgoroth into our world, now I'm here. Right. So um, are you like the accountant really, of the demons? Is that what this is? Exactly. Exactly. Right. So like and, okay. and I don't have I don't have dreams of world domination or destruction of souls or freezing the universe or anything along those lines. Um, I, I really just wanted to like play around with numbers. And they said, well, we need you to to still fulfill your purpose and create, you know, pain and misery throughout the universe. And I was like, well, I'm not going right. to do that, but I will like go and teach math. And they were like, well, close enough because they all had terrible math teachers. There so part of my purpose is also proving them wrong in that, you know, the teaching of mathematics is not, does not necessarily have to be some sort of eldritch evil sent beyond our realm to destroy happiness and joy. It can be 
sort of a, a tool of happiness and pleasure and and all of those things. So, so that's my deal. Justin, I hate you so much. <laughs> How dare you, sir? I, I tell my students all the time that I gain mana from the tears of children. Nice. And if I weren't a teacher, I would have to have become an orthodontist. Nice. nice. <laughs> that is good. That is good. There is there's there's definitely certain certain joy in, you know, making kids um uncomfortable or um or or, or miserable. So yes, yes. Well, I mean, we want them to be we want them to be uncomfortable in very specific ways, right? Like right. there is no growth, there is no learning that comes from comfort. That's just right. sort of laying in bed all day, which has its own positive merits, right? I'm all yes. in favor of that as long as you, you can grow bed sores. Right. You got to move every once in a while so you don't get the bed sores. But yeah, I mean, we want that discomfort. We want the, we want at the end of my class, if my kids' heads don't hurt, I've done something wrong, right? I want, I want to bring a little bit of that pain because with that pain comes the growth and the learning and the understanding. Yeah, exactly. I, I would argue in moderation. Like, I think there are some days where they need to leave class with their heads hurting. I think there are some days they need to leave class feeling comfortable. I think they need a, a mix of it all. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Moderation is for monks. Everything in excess. (laughs) 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 Yes, that's how you do that. Awesome. And that's how I began my journey to become a monk. Exactly. Shaving the hair, Mealy. Okay. Yeah. Start. start, um, What do you call it? Where you like hit yourself with the lashes and stuff like that? Okay. Right. Uh, uh, Self-flagellation. There you, that's what I was looking for. Yes. Autoflagellation. Yeah. Anyway. All right. So uh, this actually brings us uh, to the first thing uh, we wanted to ask you guys about. Uh, mathophobia. Um, when I was in school, I, I, I was pretty good at math. And um, I, I had the similar journey to most people who don't become something math-based. I was good at math until I wasn't. And then I was like, this is stupid. And I stopped doing it. Yep, so. Right. And, and I think different people hit that wall at different points. Um, for me, I made it up until trig. So I was, I got through high school. I was fine and didn't really have to do anything much in college. So I, I never, like my students will ask me questions about calculus. I have no idea. I don't know. I don't care. When you have a kid who hits that wall or who doesn't care or who actively starts getting nauseous at math, what do you do? If I had the answer to that question, I would not be here at this moment. I would have so much money. I would be sipping drinks somewhere beautiful. Um, so this is something that I'm really concerned with because I think really and truly, if it's gotten to the point where the kid is feeling that way, something has gone wrong along the way. Where I think, and this kind of ties back to what I was talking about earlier, before, earlier, because I know words about working with adults, because I think a lot of adults went through that and had that moment of hitting that wall and going, oof, okay, no, this sucks, I'm out. And for me, it was college, even though I just talked about the math professor I loved, before I had that guy, I had failed calculus about three times. And calculus was the worst, the bane of my existence. Like, I never, ever want to look at it again. I'm sure it's wonderful, and there's people who I know who love it. I'm not one of those people at this moment in time. But a lot of folks are walking around carrying all of these terrible math experiences, whether they happened in college, in high school, in elementary school, whenever they happened, and no one really 
addresses it. This is like, oh, you're an adult, you're functioning somewhat, you're getting by, you're keeping yourself alive, keeping kids alive, whatever, you're fine. And what ends up happening is if those people happen to be in a classroom, then all of that carried baggage is coming out to the kids. And so they're receiving messages of like, oh, I hate math and I'm a functional adult, so you can hate math and also be a functional adult and everything will be fine. Unpacking that sort of all of those issues around math, and it doesn't, it's not just for math teachers, but there are math teachers who are carrying that drama around too. Mm-hmm. And that is leaking out and influencing kids. A lot of parents as well. Yeah. Oh my gosh, oh, so many parents. And, and, and parents who think that they're not good at math and parents who think they are. Like I, that, that was the surprising thing to me was I would get parents who were like engineers and be like offended at how I was teaching my classroom because I wasn't just giving them algorithms and I'd be like, I, I do know what I'm doing. I promise. Like I've got years of experience to, to prove that this method does work. Like I need you to give me a little bit of faith. <laughs> like I, I will tell you everything I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Like, no, this is not how I learned. And you know, it's, it, it really comes down to the adults. We can't do anything to fix the kids if the adults are still walking around broken. I will echo that sentiment completely. Uh, the two things that sort of stick out to me about sort of the math trauma are the uh, the what we teach and the how we teach. Mm-hmm. The the how is, I think, probably an easier question to address. Right, looking at creating a math classroom that allows students to sort of explore their own understanding rather than the typical, here's a worksheet, here's a formula, let's grind through it so you get the practice on how to do this particular algorithm, right? Which is, it has value, but it's not a great way to teach math. And additionally, the idea of that separation between calculation and mathematics, how the majority of the things that we teach as math are actually just calculation. Right. That if you're spending several days teaching kids how to do a thing that a calculator can do, you're not teaching them math. You're teaching them calculation. That's an important skill, but it's also not math, right? The math is the problem solving. It's the critical thinking. It's the taking a problem and pulling it apart and saying, okay, what do I need to look at here? How do I analyze this? How do I examine it? What resources do I need? Um, and that's like, that's all part of the how. And then breaking it down into the, the what we teach. Now we come back to this issue, which is when kids ask, why do I need to learn this? When am I ever going to use this piece of information? And in a lot of cases, the answer is you're not. Like the pieces of information, the bits of content that we're teaching are super unnecessary in 99% of the cases. But what is necessary is the thought process behind it right? Like, how do you take this thing that means nothing to you at all and pull it apart and find meaning? How do you take this thing that is abstract and see how it applies beyond the classroom? So much of math class is setting kids up to take more math classes. And that's a terrible way to set up a progression of learning, right? You should be helping them to understand the underlying concepts so that they can see how that math applies outside of the classroom. And then the next class is, how does this deeper piece apply 
beyond the classroom. And then the next one is how does this deeper piece applies? And if you're setting that solid foundation early on, all the way back into kindergarten, first, second grade, then that foundation is going to make sense. And there are things to build off of instead of just drilling multiplication tables when so you're saying vertical is, alignment is overrated. That is not yeah. what I'm saying. That is, that is okay. not. It sounded like you were. I was vertical alignment you, is I don't know. super, I don't... super important because okay. it's, it's the question not of aligning vertically, but a question of what are we aligning, right? Mm-hmm. Are we aligning the understanding or are we aligning the classes? And those are very different okay. things. And the tests at the end of right? the year. Exactly. Because I think about like, I never taught English class, right? But to me, you're not missing from an outsider's perspective or as a student, like, I, I could not tell you what the difference is between English 1 and English 4. Besides, the kids are older and the texts are a little bit more complicated. Like, I'm That's sure that there is, like, a progression of skills. I'm sure that there it's is. It's a different Shakespeare play they read, obviously. That's yeah. The difference. We go from Romeo and Juliet to Hamlet. We go from the sad one where people <laughs> die to the sad one where people die. <laughs> but that, but that, like, clearly there's some sort of progression happening. I will sit down with an English teacher one day and they will tell me what that progression is. But but there's no argument and there's no question about you take English one and then two and then three and then four. And that sequence, for whatever reason, feels very different from the sequence of math classes you take in high school. I'm not really sure why. Uh, go, going back to the, like that, that core question of kids saying, when am I ever going to use this? You know, I, I get that a lot, especially when we're doing things like analyzing poetry and, and things along those lines, writing essays. And I was like, well, you know something, boxing is a really old sport. And in the history of boxing, at no point has a bar of metal fallen on a man's chest and he had to push it up with just his arms. That's never happened in the long history of boxing. Yet every boxer does it to prepare because working those muscles, all right, makes them ready for what happens in the ring. So no, maybe you can't use this, but uh, being able to remember vocabulary and and apply problem solving skills and and just using that muscle um will always make you stronger for the next thing right it's that mr miyagi approach to teaching right you teach something simple that appears to have no application that builds up that muscle memory so that when you need it you don't have to go hunting for it it's right there ready to go I think part of it too is that because that is a mystery, it looks like teachers are just showing up and talking at kids all day and then going home. And we probably need to do a better job of unpacking that mystery and being more explicit at just how freaking hard this job is. Like on a regular day, but to do it well, like there's a lot that goes into actually being successful at teaching and creating those ahas that we all love. If they don't happen by accident, and yet that tends to be for folks outside of education, that is the common like like good teaching happens by accident almost. And oh, yeah. so I think that that's kind of the next step is like no, for real, you need to see how hard this is, and we've been like making that I guess more transparent. Not for the kids, we want to you know save the mystery and the surprise for them. But after one of those like grand reveals. I would then take my students back through, okay, here's what I've been doing to you secretly and how I've been manipulating you to lead you into this moment. And made that more transparent to them 
because those kids will one day grow up and be adults and i would like them to be functional adults hopefully that's the goal yeah. i i, I definitely i definitely agree you don't want to like bore them with like you know um uh, a lecture on neurology you know but <laughs> but you do want to uh, at some point you know go go hey this is my teaching style and this is why i'm we're going to do these kinds of activities or these kinds of things and how i'm going to stretch you and then like you know in the first you know a couple of weeks after you've done something go hey the reason we had this activity designed this way is because i know that's going to make this muscle it's going to this is going to be the barbell that's going to do that because i know when you have to do x in real world that's going to help you out there as well but um, but but I didn't want to miss out on the opportunity. I heard someone say this recently. Maybe maybe I've said it. Maybe you said it to Disco. I don't know. When they ask, you know, when, when am I ever going to use this? Um, it's like when you're older and you help your kids do their math homework. That's that's when that's <laughs> that's when you will. Yeah, use I mean that, that's okay? that's all too that's... common. I mean we need to we need to move away from that. There needs to be a reason to know and understand math that is beyond, so that you can do more math. That like right. that self-feeding cycle. Yeah, exactly. Because if you're not interested in doing math later, then you have no reason to do math now. Right. So, so what do uh, you, coven of math teachers, think about then a possible solution be us lowering the bar? I feel like part of it is the push that we're trying to get kids to learn calculus by the age of 18. Right. So. What would you think about the solution of lowering that bar so that way that's not like the average standard to graduate high school so we spend more time playing around with the basic arithmetic and algebra? You are wading into dangerous waters, my friend. No, you're doing it. I'm just asking the question. It's the Mr. (laughs) Miyagi approach. You guys think about that. I'm going to get drunk and then talk about the war. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I would say... Certainly to start off, and I'm, I'm not going to speak for Shelby on this one, but I think the fact that getting kids ready for calculus by the age of 18 is the core mistake in math education, that the we talk, we've had many conversations in the math ed sphere about what should be the ultimate course, right? Where do we want kids to go? And calculus is a deeply elitist answer and should not be the answer. Right. Our ultimate course, instead of being calculus, should be applied statistics. Thank you. Something along those lines. Amen. Right. Like we need kids that can understand how how the math that we are teaching them applies, not just in the classroom, but in their lives, in the papers that they read, in the news that they watch, in the conversations that they have with people around them. And the propaganda that's manipulating them. Yes, exactly that, right? And so when we do units on statistics, on data, on graphs, we talk about that stuff. But all of those things always get pushed to the end of the curriculum because every course that we teach is building towards calculus. And it's it's only really the kids who aren't smart enough for calculus Uh, that we put into the statistics course. And that's nonsense because arguably statistics can be much more complicated and much harder, but also has Mm -hmm. more application to it. And it goes back to that idea of why are we sending kids to school in the first place? Why are we teaching them anything? And if we're not having a solid (laughs) discussion about the purposes 
of education and the purpose of math class in general, then how can we possibly decide where we want these courses to go? And really, if you think about it, in order to be on a track, so to speak, to calculus, that decision has to be made when a kid is like 11 or 12. Did you envision that 11 or 12 year old you would be doing what you're doing right now? Like, or have you achieved your life, your life goal that you had at 11 or 12? I have a podcast. So obviously 11 or 12 year old me was, you know, 40 years ago, dreaming, dreaming of um, podcast famedom. And so I, I have now, you know, achieved that. I, I, I never told only dream podcasts were even possible, but, but it's come true. And so I'm so glad. Um, I, I thought I was going to be either Batman or a caterpillar. Okay. Yep. I was going to be a ballerina, even though I had no dance skills or um, president, even though I had no political aspirations. Um, I just wanted the power and the glory still on my power and glory track, just, you know, yeah. through a different avenue. Right. Um, but, but, that's, but that's really kind of the point is that 11 or 12 year olds are, mushy and weird and delightful and just odd and to decide a kid's entire future based on what they are doing when they're first entering puberty is terrible like that's a terrible method of doing things because if you really do have to start them on you know this, this journey in order to achieve calculus by 12th grade the argument that i keep hearing that i think is garbage argument is, oh, well, if they want to go into these certain career paths, the expectation is that they have calculus before they enter college. Okay, guess what? Go make the colleges change. And why do we have to modify and adapt and do what's not best for kids in order to meet the college's standards? I'm sorry, like, you, you're, tell, you're honestly telling me you cannot fit calculus into a freshman semester and push everything back just a little bit or offer some courses at the same time, like you make us do in order to have some kids qualify for calculus and you make them take two courses simultaneously to get there. That We can do that, but a college kid can't fit in calculus somewhere. Really? That's, that's the argument that you're making. I, I don't buy it. I, also, I don't like if someone is going to college for engineering or something along those lines, maybe don't require them to take a dance credit. That's what I am fiercely in, in the like let's do more statistics and less and less calculus in in fact um i don't know when the episode's coming out in relation to this episode so i don't know how that all is going to work but i recently recorded um and this is news to you to disco by the way as well but um a guest appearance on this um podcast called debate math where i took <laughs> I, t- I took the position that we need to get rid of not just calculus but quadratics and throw quadratics out. Okay. And I said, first, let's get rid of quadratics. And then what, what, what's going to happen to calculus? And I said, the calculus should only exist like on some really nerdy discord somewhere. And it really serves almost no other, other purpose because even engineers aren't honestly using calculus that much. They have software programs that have the calculus baked into them. And most of them don't need to know the actual calculus to, to, to do that where they only have to have a rudimentary understanding not all of the like how to how to um do calculus by hand the reason the debate the debate math podcast exists is because i that champagne and i kept getting into fights on twitter <laughs> yes. yeah so we're we're actually the first uh, episode of the debate math pod, podcast the trapezoid episode okay awesome awesome and at some point 
they're going to be coming on this podcast and we might, um, they might be part of um, EduPod Loser, which by the way, we need to start promoting EduPod Loser um, to Disco. I, I've, I've been slacking that, but EduPod Loser is coming up, guys. Okay. We're, we're probably about a month away from, from EduPod Loser when you're listening to this. Um, so since we've like gone down the kind of like negative road for a little bit and all the, you know, the mathophobia and all, all the bad stuff about calculus, let's, 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 let's throw some positive out there. So like, Describe a lesson that either one of each of you has um, delivered. You're really proud of that. The kids love that. That like the kids who have mathophobia at the end of the lesson are like, "Why can't like math always be like this?" You know, or I just really like this lesson. So, what is a, a lesson that you've got um, that that you've delivered that has um, kind of checked those boxes? Well, in order to answer that question, we have to ask you a question. A very sure. important question. Yes. Probably the most important question that you've been asked on this podcast. Oh, my. We would like to know if you think a hot dog is a sandwich. Um, well, um, wheels? <laughs> is that the right answer? <laughs> no. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Yeah. I, I don't know what a sandwich is, but I know it when I see it. Ooh. Oh, so you're saying that in order to be able to say whether a hot dog is a sandwich, then you need to define the word sandwich. Yes. Okay, so then in order to define something, you probably need to know characteristics, um, examples and non-examples, things that make something sandwichy. Right. Yes. And so if we if we give you time to sit down and to do this, you could probably come up with that definition, right? Yeah, sandwiches do not include anything tubular unless those things are pre-sliced like pepperoni. So why why would a burrito not be a sandwich or a wrap would not be a sandwich, but like a turkey, turkey with bread and but you just bread. Bread and nothing tubular. So if I take nothing cylindrical. If I take my turkey and cheese and I roll it up like a tube and I stick it in my my sub, my hoagie, my grinder, and um, um are all um, tubular inside my um, sub roll. Is that a sandwich? No, it's a weird form of architecture. Okay. So you're saying a hoagie is not a sandwich then because it's tubular? No, 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 no. It's okay for the bread to be round. You just can't make anything in the sandwich be a round tube. Okay. As many times as we've asked this question, this is the first answer like this that I've gotten, and I am intrigued. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. Okay. And so what we do is, Justin and I actually ask this question on the first day of school and get students to debate and to, you know, they kind of aren't sure that they have very strong feelings about this until they're ready to fight their neighbor about what a sandwich is and isn't. And what that does is it sets us up for the year by talking about, we're going to have debates in this class. We're going to have discussions. There's going to be times when we disagree. There's going to be times when we're having the, a conversation. We're using the same words. We're saying the same sentences, but our meaning behind those words are different. And so we're talking past each other. Not like that ever happens in real life. So what we do is we kind of set the expectation early in the year that like this is a space to not only have arguments, but your arguments have to be rooted in 
like reasoning, evidence. Like you can't just be like, you're wrong because your face is dumb and you're stupid and your mom's stupid and everyone who's ever loved you is stupid. That's not going to work. What you need to- May or may not be true. Right. We're, not worried, we're not worried about truth value. We're worried about evidence. Right. <laughs> and Those so that's really work in Congress. <laughs> so that's how we kick off our year is, is using sandwich chat and giving students a, an arena to have these debates with one another and to support their evidence because really it, the mathematical connection there is that it's using the different standards of math practice. So it's using, you know, con, construct viable arguments and critique the reasoning of others, persevere in problem solving. Um, but it's also sneakily in a way it's set theory because you define an element of a set, you have to have the parameters of the set, you know, what does and does not qualify to be included. And so that's the kind of avenue I take with it. Justin goes in a slightly different approach with it, but that's one of our favorite things to do because it really does blow open the expectation of what does it mean to be doing math. Math is really the study of arguing and making solid arguments. And so, Ooh, by the way, you're making my brain go somewhere that I didn't want to go because I hated abstract algebra. Did you guys take abstract algebra when you had? We will be here all day if I tell you, you when about you want to figure out what's a ring algebra. and. What's a ring and what's a group? Oh, shut up. I don't know ever. I don't know, but I can tell you all about the MGN lion that my professor drew on the board. Oh, my, mine didn't do that. I just know there's a ring and a group and, and one of them's one of them's one and one of them's not. And and then it's Albion. This is also and, the works of Tolkien you're describing, just so you know. True. They do have rings and <laughs> the groups. ring, there's a group, there's some rates. It's oh man. Oh. Go go down that. Go down the YouTube the hole of, of math rings and groups and see if your brain doesn't break it. It'll, 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 it'll hurt a lot. Yeah. It's, it's complicated. I mean, but also it's, it's very easy to get kids as young as, you know, like middle and elementary school to talk about these concepts of abstract algebra and group theory. I like having my own kids who are 11 and 12. I can have them debate in the car for an hour about topology. And How do you get them to stop? <laughs> oh, I, I just leave the car and then I lock them in it and I go off and do something else. Right. Yeah. But I mean, questions yeah. of topology, one of my favorite questions to ask students in addition to um, the, you know, what makes this thing sandwich is uh, how many holes does a straw have? One. I see what you did there. Right? All right. Now, here's the, here's the issue, right? In topology, the answer is both one and two, depending on how you define what the straw is. Is it a flat cylinder with a hole in the middle that or disc that you have pulled up into a cylinder? Or is it a sphere that you've punched all the way through and then compressed in? So you can have these discussions that are abstract and really weird, but are also really fun for kids to talk about. The, the extension that I take with the, with the sandwich debate is I make all of them angry by coming to the conclusion that all food can be classified as either a sandwich or a soup, all of it. Mm. And when they, they say, well, what about this? I say, well, that's a soup. Well, no, it isn't. It doesn't have water. Well, that's not my criteria. And then we can have these deeper discussions of like, now I've told you what this, that, you know, that these are the two classifications. I can give you examples and non-examples. You tell me what my definition is. 
And they have to now consider very deeply the things that I'm telling them. They have to recognize patterns. They, they are now actively engaged, not because they care at all about my definition, but because they're trying to stump me and they're trying to like cause problems in my reasoning, which I'm like, yeah, do it. Screw my head up, man, do it. But it's, it is the kind of thing like, like Shelby said, like, this is something that nobody cares about until you propose this question. And then you're willing to punch your best friend in the face for it because his answer for what is a sandwich is clearly wrong. And his family should probably just disown him. Yes. We, we have that same debate in English, but we call it the Oxford comma. Oh God. <laughs> so stupid. I, I do know side note. I do I know hate the Oxford comma. Every justification for the Oxford comma is something that we obviously could that could be figured out in context. So yeah, I am so, so yeah, exactly. We know we're not eating grandma. We know that it's, it's not, a, the comma isn't stopping us from eating grandma. Our brains are stopping us from eating grandma. Okay. Yeah, Take your Oxford comma and stick it somewhere painful. Okay. Hey, shut up. So I know a couple <laughs> who, um... <laughs> don't forget to tell them the face stupid. Was on the really I knew a couple who was on the rocks for a while because uh, the wife said, I'm eating soup for dinner. And from there, it devolved into how do you eat soup and do you drink soup? And then what about mm. stew? And it really just spiraled from there. <laughs> the the um, way you're talking about that, it feels like um, that that couple that was on the rocks, maybe somebody close and personal to you. <laughs> it was it was a friend of a friend of mine. Yeah, right. <laughs> absolutely no underlying issues there. It was purely yeah. a suitcase argument. Yes. yes, absolutely. Like how I want to sometimes punch the mealies that I know about Oxford commas. Uh, <laughs> it's yeah. a comma. Just put in the comma. What's the problem? Is it eating up your ink? Why, why can't it. you? Why can't you just put down the comma? Because I don't need it. I want as few commas. Why, as possible. why do we have any commas? Let's just throw them all out. I think they're rarely, they're, you know, and when you put the Oxford, that obviously is just some elitism. So, the, so, so, um, why can't you give me like a proletariat comma? I, I, I can get with that. Okay. Strunk I mean, all grammar white. rules are classist anyway. Strunk and white have hit 500 RPMs in their coffins. <laughs> <sighs> I, I like the, uh, I like that hot dog debate though. Yes. Yeah. I like I like that you eat or drink soup. That's that that also can be can be um, you know what I mean? Because because multiplying and dividing are the same thing, or are they? Like yes, like, uh, right? They I, are. I tell my students too when I tutor math. I tell them I don't believe in subtraction. Yeah, like I believe in adding negatives, but I don't believe in subtraction. I don't subtract mm -hmm. anything ever, because all we're ever doing is we're just adding things onto the pile. There we go. There yeah. we go. And I think that's really like when it comes down to it, lessons that I'm proud of, lessons that I love are lessons that take kids by surprise or adults or whoever happens to be in the room and give them an avenue to explore that they weren't considering. So I, before I was doing the sandwich stuff, my favorite lesson was a lesson on um, murdering a town full of people where we basically Fun. killed off a thousand people over and over again until we got the result that we wanted. And the result we were looking for was average life expectancy. And so we were doing- Was, was what? Measures of central, uh, average life expectancy. Okay, okay, yes. So we were doing 
measures of central tendency, mean, median, mode, stuff like that. And we were talking about this was when Hamilton was really big. And so I, all of my students were obsessed with it. And so I asked them to, you know, tell me a list of all these people that they knew from that time in history. So we had a list of names of people on the board. And then we would talk about what the average life expectancy was in the 1700s or the 1800s. And then I would say, okay, well, this is the average life expectancy. And remember, young kids are dying a lot. And so we have to, unfortunately, and so this is how many people that were that age that died in that year. And now we have all these other age brackets. Let's go ahead and try and figure out the average life expectancy based on these thousand people. And so because they knew it was in the 40s or whatever, they were like, okay, we've got a whole bunch of people are dying at 30 and 40 and 50. Nobody's making it to 80. And then we would calculate it. We would, do, we would run the numbers and be like, oh, wait, this is an average life expectancy of like 20. Okay, well, what do we have to do to fix this then? And so, okay, well, maybe, the, maybe there's some old people. And so then they would start speaking the numbers. And eventually they realized that it was an inverted bell curve. There's a whole bunch of young children and a whole bunch of old people. And so then uh, the final connection to that would be we would look at that list of names that they put on the board. And I would actually write down all of the ages that they died. And the only people who died in their 40s were like people who got shot in duels right. <laughs> and died from unnatural causes. Yeah. And so yeah. not only am I pulling in a connection to history, I am blowing their minds open because this was also around a time when young people were being told, don't get involved in politics. Your voice doesn't matter. And they'd go, oh, but all of these people in the revolution and they'd be like, oh, but being 16 or 18 or 20 at that time was different because you died at 40. And so they were much older at a younger age then. And so by blowing that expectation wide open, being like, no, actually they lived to 70, 80. Yeah. Yeah. Like they, they make it to 12, you could make it to 12. You were good. You could, you could, you could yeah, see 80, right. but people think that everyone, yeah. When they hear the average life expectancy, they don't, they, that's a whole math misconception of what, what, of what average means and how averages work and all that and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah so any yeah. lesson where I can subvert expectations is a good lesson. Yeah. I like that a lot. Uh, fun side note that I know cause English teacher. So Washington Irving who wrote Rip and Winkle and legend sleepy hollow. Mm-hmm. He before he was a successful um, author, he was a lawyer and he wasn't a very good lawyer. And he wound up in his life only ever trying one case. And it was defending his good friend, Aaron Burr. After nice. the duel with Alexander Hamilton. Oh, wow. Yeah. Look at that. OK, nice. We learned something today, boys and girls. Or at least I did. OK, English. Aaron Burr, like after that duel. Aaron Burr like moved out west and tried to start his own country. Oh yeah, and went up like doing just basically nothing. He was pretty humiliated and nobody liked him. Mm. Which is it's a shame because all his songs were the best. I know, right? Wait for it. Absolutely <laughs> top. Oh, oh my god, my heart every time. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's so funny. So since we have two people and, and me and Tedisco, we might have some that we that we throw in here because we're always goofy things. I seem to have an endless supply of funny stories happening to me, honestly. So, um, so let's have some dueling funny stories and you guys can try and top one another and um, whoever wants to go first, go first. There was a year that I had a 15 minute argument with a student who insisted that um, bicycles have four wheels and bikes have two wheels, tricycles have three wheels, but bicycles have four wheels. And nothing we said to her would convince her that bicycles had two wheels she was convinced bikes had two wheels and i 
I don't know what she's doing now. I hope uh-huh. she's well. I hope she's learned. But... <laughs> I would just give her a whiteboard marker and go, please. I want draw your four wheeled bicycle on the board for me, my friend. Okay, I'd like to see what one of these looks like. Sir, uh, hold on one second, Justin. A four wheeled bicycle is that a soup or a sandwich? It, well, it's not edible. Yes, I mean, I guess if you not, try hard enough, I get if my, you cared. Like, everything is edible. Everything is edible. Just most things are so, only edible once. once. Yeah, there we go. Terry That's Pratchett cool. joke. Yes. Yeah. Okay, what you got, Justin? We had uh, one of my students this year. Uh, tried to tell us that while his dad was in the air force he dated mariah carey oh Uh right and i have another student who has a very dry sense of humor and he has been silent the entire conversation and suddenly comes out with well well, that that sounds like a sweet sweet fantasy Well done. Solid Golf Mariah clap. Carey reference from a from a tenth grader. I'm I'm on yeah, board with it. I'm impressed. There we go. There we go. None of my stories are that good. It's just kids who are like the kid who argued with me that um when we had spirit week and I was like, oh, you know, I'm dressed from the fifties, and they were like, she's like, oh, I didn't know people wore clothes back then. Nice. That would have made World War Two very I, awkward. Yes. <laughs> And I, I, I'm now teaching um, her brother and she was in either 10th grade or 11th grade at the time. And she was came to the realization literally that day and was sharing it with me that that there was actually color back <laughs> when things were being photographed in black and white. She was like 16 when she found that out. She had been convinced for 16 years that every picture she saw in black and white, that that's just the world was black and white back then. And I'm like, you really like, really? She's like, yes, no, I really, I just basically bullied her about that for the rest of um, the year. Cause you know, and before that, I just thought it was Pleasantville. I thought that was a documentary. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I didn't know. I'm not sure if you know this, but the wizard of Oz was actually the movie where they invented color (laughs) for the first They created 20 new colors just for that movie. They did. They did. It was fantastic. Yeah. Yes. So. Six just for the horse. That's true. Yeah. Uh, well, though, fun fact, uh, a lot of people, though, back then did report having dreams and nightmares in black and white. Interesting. Okay. Because of, because of watching of black and white yeah. movies? Yeah. That makes sense. Huh. I can see that. Yeah. I'm trying to think if I had another story that I wanted to share. That's oh, yeah, yeah, teaching. And I, I can't <laughs> um, think of one right now, so I don't have one. Oof. We were doing testing for most of the week, mm-hmm. uh, standardized testing, and that was garbage. Right. Um, but So with the kids that I did have, we needed some sort of non-vital content stuff to go over. So we did this, uh, we did a a non-white dude mathematician project. They picked a mathematician that was not a white man and researched whoever that was and did a very brief presentation. And in one of my classes, they finished their presentations. They did their presentations for everybody. Then they were done with about 20 minutes left to go in the class. Uh, There were short presentations and half my students were not there. So this kid goes, well, can I teach the class? 
sure. And so he gets <laughs> up and he starts pacing back and forth in a very movie professorial fashion. And he's talking about the intense value and the importance of the discussion of the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial. Oh, nice. And he's, he's not actually talking about it as much as just rambling. Mm -hmm. And he like a student was working on something and he walks over and goes, and as you can see, it's very important that we keep our pencils sharpened and we keep our notebooks available to us or someone may come and strip away our dignity. Oh my. The way that Amber did to Johnny. Oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. It was something else. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite things in the world is, is when students are like, hey, can I teach the class today? And I'm like, by all means, go yes. for it. And watching their interpretations of what it means to be a teacher. And sometimes they did remarkably well. I was like, well, I can retire now. Like, I'm good. You've got this well in hand. I'm, I'm done. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just unbridled chaos. And yeah. it's my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Most times they, they, uh, they hand me back the, the whiteboard marker pretty quickly after, after, you know, they just, wa- they just wanted to see if I, what I would say, they didn't actually have a plan. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, okay, cool. You know, they yeah. start like disciplining the other kids in the room. Right. Mm-hmm. Being shocked when the kids don't listen. Like, how do you do this every day? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. you mean, how do I do this job when you behave the way that you behave? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Of honor for all of us. There we go. <laughs> well, I think we're at the conclusion here, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, frogs and snails. I appreciate um, you guys coming on time and, th- and thank you so much. And it's, it, it's been awesome. And other than being the um, creator for um, Debate Math, apparently, that, that we found out. Is there anything else that you guys have that you wanted to plug or to promote or whatever that, that we can um, throw in the show notes and you want to talk about before we, we close it out here? So I have a website. Uh, I can't promise that I'm very good at my website, but it's strongermath.com. And mm-hmm. so I have blog posts and I have various pictures of me posing with rockets and doing you know, professionally type things. Oh, oh, I do want to promote something. Cool. Okay. I forgot that I have a thing. Um, next week. So June 2nd is going to be our first inaugural meeting of the math routine collaborative. So if you go to strongermath.com slash MRC, you can find out that so it's me, Amy Fetter, Amy Forrest, and a whole, whole slew of surprise mystery guests who are going to come and join us. And basically what we're doing is math routines have been a thing that everyone's been talking about lately but very few opportunities have been given to practice them and so people will go into the classroom try it once it doesn't go well they'll go well this sucks i don't know what everybody thinks is so great about this or they're like nervous about messing kids up forever and you know they there are all these really cool routines out there but no one's really getting a chance to practice doing them before subjecting children to them so we got together and we decided let's do that let's create a space where we can actually have someone do the routine. You can pick their brain, ask them questions about decisions that they made or questions that they asked or threads they decided to follow, and then go practice the routine yourself. So we're starting with Notice and Wonder this Thursday, but we meet every Thursday at 8.30 
Eastern time, 5.30 Pacific time, and we will meet until August 11th. And there will be a schedule going up pretty soon on the website of what topics we're doing on the week and who's going to be our guests and things like that. It's going to be a great time. It's BYOB. It's summer nights where we get to mm-hmm. hang out and nerd out about that. So come join us. Have a blast. We would, everyone, all age groups, all grade levels are welcome. Awesome. To come and hang awesome. out with us and be nerdy. Cool. Nice. And uh, all that's linked in uh, Stronger Math? StrongerMath.com slash MRC. I'm working on getting a button on the StrongerMath.com website. I'm not good at tech. (laughs) Nice. And I'll include that in the show notes too. Cool. Beautiful. And Justin, did you have anything? Um, I don't really have anything going on right now except like deep emotional trauma and instability. Um, But other than that. We have stuff this summer. You and I have stuff. Are you going well, to be live what streaming your plug? Can you live stream oh, your emotional trauma? Because that would be cool. Yes, okay. uh, I I will be. It's live uh, streamed to my phone Twitch every channel. other day. <laughs> yeah, I will be I will be uh, starting a Twitch channel in which uh, I will be live streaming my descent into madness over the next um, rest of my life. Okay. Um, that sounds awesome. In uh, in the fall, uh, Shelby and I will be speaking at the National Council of Teachers of Mathematics um, National Convention. We will be talking okay. about sandwich chat and about can, uh, vertical alignment of multiplication throughout the ages. Uh, so we're going to be doing that. Also, uh, she was super uh, not doing this, so I'm going to do it for her. Uh, but you, if you are hearing this podcast, you should hire Shelby to come and do professional development for your teachers. Um, the kinds of stuff that we talk about here are just sort of the tip of the iceberg, uh, but she delves incredibly deeply and thoroughly into those topics. And if your math teachers are struggling, which if they are math teachers in the past two years, they are struggling. Right. Um, this is a, a really great way to sort of help bring them back to where they want to be. Um, and she's, she's available for that. And I am available for parties. So I specialize in balloon swords because those are two twists. Nice. I can make really ugly dogs. <laughs> it's our always dog- so awkward when Justin is sweet to me because I'm not used to it. And our dogs a super sandwich. <laughs> uh, dogs are a. I guess it depends on how you prepare them. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, that they are a soup. I, I was gonna say soup, but I, I just want to hear you say it. Obviously, dachshunds would be a sandwich, though. Because <laughs> that's a hot dog. But you got to put them on the bun. Okay. Okay. Justin, you forgot what we're doing this summer. We're doing the Pittsburgh or the Pennsylvania thing. That's oh, what I was yeah. alluding to. We are doing to. that as well. The Pennsylvania Council of Mathematics, we are also speaking at that as well. So if you are um, not able to make it to Los Angeles and instead would much rather take a, a beautiful vacation in scenic Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Um, you can come on out to that and we will be happy to see you. Rob Beyer is involved with that as well. And in addition to debate, this is like a, a Rob Beyer tribute episode. I'm, I'm <laughs> on board with it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that is plenty. Okay. So again, if you didn't catch all of that, just, just scroll through the show notes and click on the links and, and go down and go down the rabbit trails to find out all those things. And we appreciate both of you guys coming on. It's, it's been an absolute blast. And as we always say at the end, stay unprofessional.
<laughs> Thank you and stay unprofessional. Stay unprofessional. Stay unprofessional. Stay unprofessional. <laughs>